Welcome to Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives Podcast. In Season 1, we learned about entrepreneurs and others around the world who were creating jobs and opportunities through esports. The one common theme throughout the season was that it takes money to create jobs and change lives. But let's face it, money can be hard to find, especially in some parts of the world, maybe in your part of the world. But this season, we are going to share stories from esports entrepreneurs in emerging markets and showcase how they found funding they need to be successful. We're also going to talk to investors in Africa, Asia, India, who have invested in esports and highlight the challenges that those markets face. In addition, we're going to talk about sponsors who provide funding to teams, tournament organizers, and streamers. Join us on this journey for Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, aptly titled, Follow the Money. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. As I always say, when it comes to esports, I'm not the expert, I'm the explorer. The goal behind the podcast is to talk to esports entrepreneurs and others around the world to learn how esports can create jobs and maybe inspire others to do just the same. Here in season two, which we call Follow the Money, we're talking to people about sponsorship, about investment, and about other ways that esports organizations can make money because it takes money to create jobs. Today, I'm really, really happy. I re- really am to have Ronnie Lusigi from Kenya joining us today. He's at e- Index G Esports. Welcome, Ronnie. Thank you, Tom. Um, it's a pleasure to be on this show and to speak to you from Nairobi, Kenya, the cradle of mankind. Great, great. And we also have on this podcast for the first time is Reginald Nasawa talking to us from Ghana. Hey there, Reginald. Yeah, hi, Tom. Uh, greetings from Takradi, Ghana. Yeah. Great, great. Let's start with you, Ronnie. How did you get started in gaming and esports? Was there like a PS1 involved? Uh, sure, sure, yes. Uh, I've been gaming since I was uh, around eight. Um, and yes, my, my first console was um, the PS1. Um, I grew up I grew up in, in Kibra, or K- properly known as Kibera, here, here in, 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 in Nairobi. It's one of the, the biggest slums in Africa. So um, we, when, when we used to go to school, we had those uh, small gaming shops in the hood which is to have PlayStation 1. So um, that should be around, I uh, should be touching a PlayStation 1 around 2005 or 2004, the end of 2004, the start of 2005. And my first game was WWE or was it WWF at that time? It was, it was wrestling based on the, on the, on the wrestling, uh, the most popular wrestling uh, show, WWE. So it was my first game. I enjoyed it because it was easy. I, I used to play with The Undertaker, it came people who I used to watch on TV as as wrestlers. So uh, and then I've I've been playing football all my life. In fact, uh, I had dreams of becoming a professional footballer. Uh, so the other game I used to play at that time, of course, was Winning Eleven by Konami, which I think today has transformed to eFootball Pass. So I was playing um, through that time, um, growing up, playing, moving to PS2. And then they took me to a rural area for high school. So <laughs> I spent like two, three years when it was difficult for me to, to get my hands on, on, on a PlayStation because I was in the western side of Kenya, which is my rural home at Chavakali High School. And because I was on a soccer scholarship, 
most of the holidays we'll have the soccer camps. So um, I had uh, four years that I, I I was in Nairobi, the capital city, only for maybe a month. So uh, that was a hiatus, but I came back to the University of Nairobi in the capital, and then we continued playing, doing small tournaments. And so that's, that's when... Um, when I was working as a digital media manager for the Football Kenya Federation, we were also doing some little bit of, of, of small tournaments. So we just thought, let's start this uh, Index G Esports uh, in 2020, that is, and try and, and, and do some tournaments. But we came to realize we can do much more than that. And I think as the show progresses, we shall be speaking to about what we do. But that's my brief journey with, with, with esports, uh, with gaming per se. So I've been gaming since I was a, I was a kid, and my WrestleMania, and then Konami winning eleven, and then FIFA. Those are the games I've played the most. So I do a little bit of Tekken, Street Fighter, but not that much. So my popular games, my my best games are uh, simulation football games. Uh, so much, yeah. No, that's that's great. No, we we talked to Queen Arrow. She's she was also one of our guests from Kenya, and she was talking about her fighting game experience and it's just like that that is just a, a skill that i am always in awe of. it's just like i i am so bad at those hey let's, let's start let's dive into some information here what what is e, e, index g esports and first of all where'd the name come from and what do you do there okay the name now i was with my friend uh his name is brian brian chanda so when we, we say do you want to start uh in the gaming to enter into the esports space we are truly looking for a name. We are truly looking for a name. Which name shall we give ourselves? So we wanted a name that motivates us, a name that um, a name that gives us the confidence to go out there. So uh, and it, it had to be something that has gamers in it. So we thought the index finger is the first finger. It's called the index finger. It's like you're number one. You are on top. Uh, or index can also be like the SI unit of something. The index. So we thought, let's be the index of gaming. So that's why it's index G. Uh, we started, started wanted to say index gaming, but we just say index G um, esports. So um, as I was saying earlier, though at the beginning our focus was just to do tournaments, uh, you know, but we came to realize the infrastructure around us and actually the power of esports, uh, just like football where I was. Is bigger than that, so we we decided to organize Index G Esports into four major areas, which of course we need tournaments. So tournament organizers, because that's our biggest source of revenue. So for us to be tournament organizers, but we also realized that uh, there is a lot of lack of capacity generally in esports. So we also put it as our objective to help build capacity. Uh, in the esports scene in our country, in the very small way we can do it. So that's our second objective: is to build capacity of esports coaches, build capacity of esports, uh, the gamers themselves, if it's branding, um, conducting themselves as athletes. Um, we also focus in that regard on content because we believe in the power of say, of saying stories and telling stories will help take esports to the mainstream. So we do a lot of. Uh, content around that. We've been fortunate uh, to get some sponsorship this year that enabled us to do some short films I, I shared with Reggie 
uh, before this, some short films on, on, on athletes. And then we also use esports for social good. So because I've been working in football, I've been a footballer and then working in football, and I've seen how, especially in Africa, football has really been a powerful tool of social development. I personally went through one of the best high schools in Kenya, not because I could afford it, but because I was a good footballer. I was on a high school uh, sports scholarship at Chabakali High School, um, uh, which I really love that school. So we also I've also seen football being used to prevent teenage pregnancies. I've also seen football being used to prevent people from entering into crime so and drug abuse. So we also see that power in esports. Because as I told you, when, and it's still the case right now, that gaming in, in Kenya, per se, is a social activity because of the cost of equipment, many people don't have it at home. So many people gather at video gaming cafes, which is a powerful tool, which means I'm sure right now, tomorrow, I'll go and find 50 teenagers in one gaming lounge. Some are playing, some are watching others playing, some are waiting for others to, to finish playing so that they can play. So these people are already being brought together by gaming. So how can we use this opportunity now to impart things like life skills? How can we use this opportunity to impart change? Because if gaming brings them together, let them do it now, move to a higher level. Because again, we are in Africa. If in the West, where esports is developed or in Asia, only 0.001% make it to the top, what about Africa? So because not everyone will be a pro gamer, we are trying to help them find a purpose. So it goes back to what we said, things like capacity building. If through uh, Index G Esports, you become a better photographer because you do photography in our events, you may end up being the president's photographer one day. You may end up being hired as a journalist in the big, in the big media houses. If through Index G, you are a writer again, you can become a sports journalist. If through Index G, you, you are doing events with us, you may be hired by another company that does concerts, which is very similar to what we do. So this esports may be your gateway to other things. So that I personally believe esports running Index G has made me a better, better in marketing. It has made me better in man management. It has made me a better person all round qualifying me to the job market. So we really focus on those four areas, um, uh, Tom, esports for social good, tournament organizing, capacity building, and and content creation. But on the side also, we do consultancy for brands looking to get into esports on the approach they can take. Oh, oh that's really great. I mean, I, that you're, you're doing exactly the kinds of things that we want to be talking about here on the podcast. One of the things I saw on your website was talking about mentorship. And when you're, when, because part of, of, Anything is, you know, to be able to become mentors for people in all those different areas that you described. Is there any particular format that you see uh, mentoring working well? Uh, Reginald was talking the other day about uh, remote um, mentoring as an example. What, what kind of format of mentoring seems to work well with the people that you're dealing with there, Ronnie? Okay. There's, I'll say there's two, we have two categories of it. Uh, one category is the people we work with here at Index G, which are a few people. Right now, we only have, can count 11. Uh, and then there's mentorship for people we work with externally, like tournaments. Those are the gamers, people who are not directly contacted to, to work with us. So internally, what I try to do as a leader 
is just to to impart this work ethic on on the people we are working with remember we we are all working as volunteers here most of the people i'm working with are young people fresh out of university some not lucky to have gone to university just fresh out of high school they are 19 they are 20 so the type of mentorship i try to give them is making them believe that you can learn a craft we may not be able to you may not be able to afford a university degree but there is a craft you can learn by doing something for 2 3 years that will make you maybe even better than someone who went to learn about what you're doing uh, at the university i myself went to the university to, university of nairobi to do physical education and sport but i found myself doing becoming the digital media manager of a football club then of the football kenya federation and my job really became the job description of a sports journalist and through practice i believe i've become qualified to be a sports journalist you see so i'm trying internally i'm trying to mentor them in that way that as long as you put your mind into something as long as you are daring to 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 try ours is an open book i may tell you i, I see you are a good writer come and help me down our our website but in you running the website i realize you have other skills so because we are still growing i tell you feel free to contribute in other areas now externally externally we deal with gamers most of the gamers or most of the people in the esports scene in Kenya and shout out to Quinaro because she's a good example most of them have not grown up with the mentality of someone who grew up as a footballer or a rugby player because i personally grew, growing up as a footballer by 13 i had taken my passport because i was anticipating i may have I, i may have an opportunity to play abroad a small thing like that you'll find that a gamer in kenya does not have a traveling passport so when they win a competition to represent the country uh, in in another country that's when we start hustling where how do we find your passport go to the ministry of sports write for us a letter emergency letter also things like branding we need to tell them my tournaments alone cannot sustain you the prize money is so little i need you to brand yourself so that you can be able to attract brands to give you some things that can make you a better gamer i also try to attach them with athletes from mainstream sports uh, shout out to the fastest man in africa uh, then uh, he is the now the eighth fastest man in history fernando manyala 100 meters 9.77 seconds who's been at hand since since july to always he always has sessions with our with our gamers a select group of gamers where we just take them sometimes to watch him train just on the track and sometimes just to have a conversation with him that what do you do as an a list athlete so that's the kind of mentorship you are trying to offer externally and internally and uh, i and and my my very good buddy called ignacio hennings we are trying to offer that kind of mentorship all that, all that sounds good it's yeah mentorship is mentorship comes in many different uh, different directions there Well, you were you're starting to mention a little bit about international events and i i think this is a good conversation to have because a lot of people that we talk to here have just like you described they 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 get the opportunity they qualify to go to an international event but that's only really the starting point it's like there's there's so many hurdles to go through before you can make it happen and i know you just went to um to istanbul Can you describe a little bit about uh what you what you did in Istanbul and can you describe a little bit how 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 the process was of making that happen? Okay, thank you. So in Kenya we do have an Esports Kenya Federation. It's still a new federation, uh, still young. So uh as Index G we 
we saw that opportunity because last year Kenya did not take part. So we went and told them, hey guys, uh, you guys are members of the Global Esports Federation. Why don't don't we take part in this? And um, we had a conversation with them. There was an issue of huge issue being of resources, but we told them, give us a try. Believe in us as Index G. Uh, we want to try and uh, and do this for you. So we 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 had a discussion and they contracted us to run the qualifiers, which helps us get the players, and then to train these players and prepare them who are going to to Istanbul and to also mobilize resources towards this uh, uh, whole process. Um, so first thing first, we. We started by packaging the competition. We've worked with them, with the Federation also, for the Commonwealth Esports Championship that was earlier in the year, also by Global Esports Federation. So what we do is we package the local qualifiers as an event and try and give it all the attention we can so that we can have the eyeballs, the attendance, and then we pitch that to sponsors. So we were able to do a local qualifier for eFootball, pick the player, also did a local recruitment for Dota 2, pick the player, and, uh, and Street Fighter. Then after that, it was to what I was speaking to. Most of these players, all of them, it was their first time. So starting to prepare them, uh, they don't have passports. Us looking for resources to help them go and apply for a passport. Applying for a passport in, in, in Kenya is, is slightly like $50. So uh, apply for that passport. So we had, in, in total, we had a team of eight. That's uh, six Dota 2 players, one um, eFootball player, and one Street Fighter player. Uh, so these eight, we had to help them get their travel documents and then attach them to one passionate guy who was working as their coach. So he was able to coach for the Dota 2 team. They were training every night virtually at 8 p.m., because all of them were university students. And then over the weekends, they could meet up in a place and train together. We also were trying to push the publicity of, of, of this around this team just to make the noise for people to know we, have a, we are sending a team to the World Championship. And we were really fortunate enough to get loads and loads of, of media articles. I think uh, we had this conversation before I telling you that and that's the power of international. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Don't 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 spoil this part because that's that's the next section. Because okay. what you were describing the media was was so smart. I want I want to talk about that after after this. Okay. So yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but no, no, no but that's a, that's another really good story that we'll tell. Sure, sure. Oh, so how did you how did how did you fund this trip to um, Istanbul? Because that's one of the stumbling blocks that so many people come across is they they just don't have the the money to make it happen. So how did you get the money to make this happen? Okay, shout out to the Global Esports Federation because one, they paid for everyone's air tickets and accommodation, which lessened the load wow. for us. So for us, it was just to, to, to look for the costs for visa, um, visa costs for, for every player and resources for, 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 for the local qualifiers. So um, we were able to get well-wishers to help us in that regard. Uh, of getting because one person's visa um, is close to nineteen dollars. The Turkish visa uh, is close to cost nineteen dollars a person. So uh, and we had eight people plus myself. That's nine. 
So um, we worked around that. Uh, we were able to, and that's the importance of publicity. So we were able to to make that noise, get partners, and we were able to to fund that. So uh, that I'd say, uh, Global Esports Federation did a good job because if we were talking about flights, it's another big issue. But at least they sorted the flights and the accommodation and everything we are doing in Istanbul. So that that was good. Original, I saw you had your hand up. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i just enjoying the conversation. I, I think, first of all, just um, go back a little bit to getting the mentorship using somebody in the traditional sports like athletics and getting that person to mentor people or young people who are going to something like esports. And I, and I think that is... Um, that's a very um, innovative thing to do. I know Kenya is known for marathon running, long distance running. That has everything to do with your mindset because your body is challenged. I, you know, with my military background, I've, I've done some of those long distance running. I know how it feels, <laughs> you know, so getting them to, to, to train, um, um, train with us, getting some of them to volunteer, to mentor, Esports athletes, I think to me it's 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 very um, it's very key. So, how did you come up with that? You know that idea to add that to the mentoring. Yeah, it, it was just a discussion we had internally, and then uh, just being lucky, working in football made me meet a lot of these people. I was also lucky to go to the same school, same university with Fernando Manyala, the guy I just mentioned. But we also have okay. other sports people who are doing things on the sidelines. And we have more, I don't want to to, 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 to reveal now, but there's a bigger one who will, will be also launching, a, <laughs> there's a bigger bigger athlete who will also be, be joining us in these mentorship sessions. And they really help because uh, I've seen that many gamers, as I've said, did not grow up thinking that they will be elite performers. So this means they think that their skill only is enough. But when you go and speak to, an elite athlete, you now realize your skill is just one aspect. You need the discipline. You need the resilience. Yeah. You see? Yeah. And, and I tell you, after, after there's an e-football player called Elias Onchari, he went to the Commonwealth Esports Championship. After that conversation he had with, with Fernando Manyala and being in touch with him for like two, three months, when we were doing the qualifiers to go to Istanbul, of course he did lose to the final to Evander Maina. But what really struck me is how prepared he came. This young man is the first game I've seen that prepared. For the three, two months that these two competitions were apart, he was going to tournaments, some of them playing, some not playing, taking notes. So when he came to the Istanbul qualifiers, I found him after he had finished his first match at the back of the hall that we are doing the competition, reading notes about his opponents. He has notes on Reggie. This is Reggie's weakness. He has notes on Tom. This is Tom's weakness. He has notes on Tony on Ronnie. This is Ronnie's weakness. And it helped him because he went into penalty shootouts with two of them in the e-football game. And he knew, he wow. knew that this guy likes this side. So he was saving lots of those penalties. <laughs> he knew he knew this yeah. guy, the other guy loses concentration in the second half. So he prepared. And you see. When I asked him just by the side, I've never seen you this determined. He was like, first of all, how sweet it was to go to Birmingham from the Commonwealth Games 
I don't want anyone else to be taking that opportunity. Unless we are going two of us, I only want want it to be me. And second of all, that mentorship from Omanyala, he said how Omanyala has notes on other sprinters around the world who is looking to beat. And that's where he took that concept. Wow. Well, I think that's great. I'm someone who really loves uh, preparation and especially esports. I mean, with this podcast, we've spoken to so many, um, you know, uh, people like you from emerging markets. And one of the things that, you know, it's a challenge for us in Africa is infrastructure, it's um, uh, servers and all those kind of things. So if we are going to produce athletes who are going to compete on a world stage, then they have to be prepared. You know, this 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 thing lets me, you know, uh, you know, my mind is going back to Rocky, <laughs> the movie. But, but I think that's amazing. Yeah. So. Because one of the things, it's such a great story, because one of the things that you're taking advantage of there, Ronnie, is the, the, the positive, the, the people who are already doing really, really well on the world stage. And, and you're taking, you're, you're letting, you're putting together a format for them to use that information to help people in, in your esports organization. And I, just think, I think that's a really smart way to do it. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so, um, so w- in your trip, to Istanbul, what did you learn that that other people might not be thinking of when they're going for their first tournament overseas? But what did you learn that that you you could uh, you could let them know about now? Uh, what surprised you? Pardon, pardon. What what surprised you? Okay, okay. Uh, first of all, I I just personally learned. Uh, I found myself in a position like a team manager. So I, I learned an important skill of, of managing people, uh, which is very, which is very key. It will, it will also help me in, in other things in the business. Secondly, I also learned just the power, the, the power that international competitions have, the pride of a country, and and that's why you'd see the FIFA World Cup just ended, and you see the passion oh, yeah. that is there. So um, much as esports has developed so much privately i really saw the power of international competitions and then uh i also just got to learn how different people approach it and it's very similar to traditional sports you go to international competition you learn there's a football team that likes possession football there's a football team that likes counter-attack so in that international set you are playing maybe a game like dota 2 but the team that eliminated us and went on to win the dota 2 women thailand they played differently with, with the team from Malaysia. And, they, and Malaysia played differently from New Zealand and, and Great Britain. So you get to learn of different approaches uh, of, of the game. So, and, and that is very, very important. And of course, more importantly, you get to network. I think the power of networking uh, is very important because I, I have to mention that my coach for the Dota 2 women team is a university student just about to turn 20. This is a young man who's being driven by passion, but he needs more empowerment in terms of knowledge, expertise. Through this networking, he's able to tag along someone from an advanced esports scene and tell them, you've been a coach for this game for eight years. How can you assist me? Even if it's on WhatsApp, they're sending each other material, they're sending each other motivation, and it helps uh it helps that grow so i i just say from from traveling we find that there's a lot of power in 
just going somewhere and meeting people from around the world, that even if the primary objective is the competition, you end up finding that there's much more to that. You learn even cultures of people, uh, how people, how you greet people. You learn how people from certain countries, the things they like and they don't like. You see, I may I may be going tomorrow to Riyadh. At least I spoke to people from Saudi Arabia. You know, this is how you behave in Riyadh. At least I spoke to people from Belgium. I know even in Brussels, this is what I do. So international competitions really they do have a lot of power um, and that I learned. That's, that's just so important because one of the things here in the U.S., I mean, it, we, we pay not enough attention to people in other places. And it's, 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 it's interesting that, that you're bringing up that you can learn something from everyone that's out there if, if you look for it. The thing I like to hear you talk about is networking. It's like, because just, just listening to you talk, it's, it's, I, I, I get the feeling you talk to a lot of different people and you talk to a lot of different people with purpose. It's like not not to necessarily get something for yourself, but to 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 have an exchange of information out there, which I think is really good. The thing I want to move on to here, because I we I can just keep talking forever, is um, when you're talking about marketing, and you told a really good story about how you were working with the uh, press in Kenya, and maybe you can go through that uh, with our audience here. What, what's your approach to media? Thank you, thank you, Tom. Uh, uh, because the media is a powerful ally for, for anything to grow, for music to grow, for sports to grow. The media is all, always a powerful ally. So it's very important that in anything we are doing in this day and age, you have a media strategy. Uh, social media and mainstream media. And uh, where I come from, uh, we may we may be among the biggest social media users in Africa. But we can't escape the fact that the decision makers that we are talking to, asking for policy, asking for some dollars for our events, these people still hold dear the mainstream media. And they tend to believe more what they see on the mainstream media or to take you more seriously when they see you on the mainstream media than on social media alone. So, uh, and, and I'll, I'll combine this with the power of international competitions. The challenge most of the time with private esports competitions, you find one company has taken up the sponsorship. So at times when you try to invite the media, they see it like an advertisement because uh, if they go to football, there's a Kenyan Premier League. If they go to rugby, there's the Kenyan Cup. It's run by the Rugby Federation and they just add sponsors to it. But when you come to esports, there's a competition organized by a company selling energy drinks. There's a competition organized by a company selling uh, a telecommunications company. But when you are able to get these competitions that it's about the country, we are picking players to go and represent the country. It's the federation doing this competition. It's similar now. It's familiar to the ears of sports journalists. So just to go to that now, uh, we work with sports journalists to try and push esports to the mainstream. And uh, in this, we first of all had to do our background check. Uh, again, I go back to having work in football, it really helped me. So what most of the journalists I know who I spoke to really not understand the aspect of gaming, but they don't know how do I report esports. So with that information, we came and say and told ourselves as Index G, we need to come up with a way that we will not just be inviting the media, but we'll be collaborating with the media. And again, we take lessons from 
mainstream sports. Uh, you'll find that before the FIFA World Cup, FIFA always has an engagement with the media. Before the Olympics, IOC always has an engagement with the media. And I, humbled, I happened to stumble upon, like three years ago, before the Tokyo Olympics, something called the IOC uh, regulation, coverage regulation guidelines, something like that, which is a small document they've done for the media on how they want them to portray athletes participating in the Olympics to respect their beliefs, their religions, their gender, and their diversity as a whole. So what we do with the media here is that we, 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 when we invite journalists, we are able to assist them to know how to cover an esports story, which terms to use, and they're also able to teach us that, look, I'm going to write this in a national newspaper. I'm going to broadcast this in a national TV station. I also need to know, uh, you also need to understand, Ronnie and Index G, that 80% of people who are hearing this don't know what esports is. So first, we have to strike a balance in the language that we'll use. It shouldn't be so hardcore, but it should be able to attract the person who, who is attracted to esports and also attract that who is not attracted to esports. So we have a collaboration with the media that we work together towards shaping the conversation. So we have discussions. If a tournament is two weeks to now, we have discussions. This is how we'd like it to go. This is how we'd like you to cover. And uh, we also have to be realistic, uh, Tom, that... 90% of sports journalists won't be in problem or in trouble with their sports editor if they don't do an esports story. In every media house, there's a soccer correspondent, there's a rugby correspondent, athletics correspondent, but there's no esports correspondent. So it's also a, a matter of convincing them, of, of getting them to buy in the idea, because most of them won't lose anything if they don't write about this sport. But if they don't write about volleyball, we have a very good volleyball team, national team, they're in trouble. So we also found that who do we target with this information? We target the sports journalists who are emerging. So then they are more flexible to taking up newer stories, fresher stories, because 90% of the time they write about football, volleyball, rugby. Their sports editor does not take their story. He takes the story of the veteran journalist. If um, if I'm an intern or if I'm just in my first month or, or first three months in the biggest media house, maybe it's BBC in the UK, and someone who's been covering Arsenal for five years, if we do write a story about Arsenal, it's natural that the sports editor will go to the, for the experienced journalist story. Mine may be better, but I'm still new. But we are able to convince this journalist that, look, in this esports, you are finding a niche that you can scale the heights of sports journalism quicker. So come and cover esports, and now you go to your sports editor, it's like, hmm, you brought me something new. You brought me something interesting. And so we've found that we've shown them what they can gain from a personal perspective, and they're also now able to show their media houses that we are getting more readers and more viewers uh, through this storm. I just think that's really smart, because one, um, I, I, one of the things I know that with Queen Arrow, when she was featured on CNN uh, a couple of years ago, that was a huge deal. I mean, that, that brought her visibility in the U.S. Sure. in a big way. And, and I, it would be interesting to go back and look and see who the CNN reporter was that put that, that eSports story together, because I will bet it wasn't the, the, the top person. It was uh, someone, someone further down on the, on the chain. When you're talking about 
because I think it's a really smart approach that you're talking about there. It's like you're you're going you're 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 figuring out how to get the stories out there. But my next question is, what story do you want them to tell? Do you want them to tell stories about the game, the players? That what what story is the best story for them to write in your in your viewpoint? To me, the best story for them to write is the impact first of esports. First, they are telling the world or they are telling the country, look, esports is making someone travel to Istanbul. Just like football or athletics is making someone travel, you are having a whole community, a whole school, a whole university coalescing around one person because he's going to represent the country. I want them to tell the story that esports is giving young men and women a source of income. We have two young men we work with. They are gamers. They are refugees from a neighboring South Sudan country. They were able to to win fifty thousand dollars each just recently from an esports competition. Uh, sorry, $5,000, $5,000, which translates to around 500,000 Kenyan shillings from an esports competition. Through that, now they have their own gaming launches that they charge people to play. And now they are funding their own university education from a prize money. Through a prize money, they are now also not just gamers, they are entrepreneurs because they are actually running a business. So I want the media to tell impact stories like this. I want the media to tell the stories about people who, if not for gaming, could have fallen to crime. If not for gaming, could have fallen to drug abuse. I want them to tell those stories first because these stories are very similar to the stories they tell about sports. Now, after that, they can start telling the story of, wow, if this thing is having this huge of an impact, what can we do to make this impact bigger? Now we can go to the conversation of my daughter 2 team, the Kenya National Dota 2 team was training with substandard equipment that when they got to Istanbul, they even had stage fright because they were using equipment that was so good and so fast, they are not used to that. You see, I can come and tell them we need a training facility. I can come and tell them we need policy. But I can only tell that if I've been able to tell the story of the impact. So for us, the focus, even as we enter into 2023, the focus is to show the impact. When we show the impact, we can solve the problem in infrastructure. I can be able now to sit down uh, with, 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 with someone in, in the government and tell them, look, do you know the economic benefits of having a server of a popular game in this country? Can we now have an approach that will not wait for the publisher, but we can collect data as a country and take it to a publisher, take it to Riot Games, take it to eSports and tell them, look, this number of people are playing a game. You could make this amount of revenues from having a server in Kenya it could serve this number of countries in Eastern Central Africa. And we can tell the president or, or, or the leaders in Kenya that this server can earn us this amount of revenue. So uh, that's what we really do want to focus. But our number one focus is show them the impact and then ask them to contribute. Reginald, that sounds like our story, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, th- yeah. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a story that we are also trying to tell with this podcast, getting attention to shift um, uh, um, to esports. I think you also made, one of the things that I'm very, very, you know, um, I was very fascinated with when I was, you know, looking at your work is how you've been able to get the stakeholders, the government officials in, you know, the Ministry of Youth and Sports and all those people, even the local um, um, Olympic Committee to, to gradually pay attention um, to esports, because now it's like you're bringing all the stakeholders together. You have the media's attention. Now you have government attention. 
And uh, you know, so I, I, how has how have you been able to to also do that? Because the 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 one of the things that I'm, I always look at is when you are leading in an industry where there are no pioneers, you that are starting out, you have to do a lot of groundwork. So it's like <laughs> you you there is no there is no road, you know. In 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 our in our language, they say follow 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 one who knows road. But you, there's no road for you. It's like you are you are building capacity, you know, build um, mentoring players on one side, getting media attention on one side, getting sponsors on one side, um, putting to organizing tournaments on on also on on one side. That sounds you know um, a whole lot of work, doesn't it, Ronnie? Uh, uh, yes, Reggie. When we were in Istanbul, uh, a guy called Luke Feldham was speaking to us and he told me of an American quote that says, closed mouths don't get fed. So uh, you have to open your mouth for it to be fed. So to bring these stakeholders, it goes back to the impact I was saying of the media and our impact also using social media to tell our stories. That is why we are investing in going to produce a short film to tell a story properly. That short film is also a template that I can go and tell a journalist, this is how I've done this story, and this is the template you can use. Alter it a bit, but this can easily be a news feature. This is the questions you ask a gamer. And then you use the media now to push the narrative. As I said, decision makers in our country are older. They look at the mainstream media. Before the Commonwealth Esports Championship yeah. and us going also for the uh, global esports games, I, we did our research at Index G, and we found that the top three media houses had a combined of less than five stories around esports since their formation. But because of these two international competitions, we've pushed that number. It's close now to 30. And now when you push, when you push that number, a policymaker, as someone who are all, there are people who are always cautious of public opinion. So when you write them an email, you say, also not, we are covered here. You've attached five articles. When you are speaking maybe to their personal assistant, to their AD, you are telling them, look, this thing is of public interest. You can't be the minister for sports and this thing is happening and you don't have an idea. You can't be running university games and these things are happening and you don't have an idea. You can't be the National Olympic Committee of Kenya and these things are happening and you don't have an idea. So you combine that because uh, it is also in their interest to do that. So even if they won't help you because maybe they believe in you, but they do it because of their interest. Because also uh, I'm currently reading The Wealth of the Nations and Adam Smith says that it is not because of the benevolence of the chef or the brewer that you enjoy the meal. It's because of their interest attached to it. If you enjoy the meal, they get paid. So they're not making the good meal for you to feel good, but they're making the good meal for you to enjoy. So it's the same way we must learn that when you are dealing with policymakers and these leaders, we must do our homework. Because also if I was a sports minister, I have a lot on my plate. I don't want you to come to me when you are still at ground zero. I want you to come to me when you've pushed this thing to certain level. I can see, okay, it's a matter of public interest. Now I can put my input there because you also have to be empathetic of that guy. He's a public official with a lot of things. So when you do your homework, you have this coverage, you have this. He says, 
if I add my voice to a minister as a minister, maybe now I won't give you the resources, but maybe the corporate will see the government is serious about this. And now if they were giving you X amount for sponsorship, they can increase uh, that amount. Uh, Reggie. Yeah. When you're talking about these stories, because one of the things I keep hearing from you is you've really thought things through. You don't, you're not doing things just by accident. So, you, so the stories, you know, the story, you know, who you want to be telling, who, you know, you know, who it is that you want to be telling the stories. You have an idea of what those stories should be. What do you want the impact from those stories to be? Is your, is, is your real audience, the, the government, like you're describing it, what would you like the stories to accomplish? The biggest accomplishment we can get from these stories, Tom, is to take esports to the mainstream. And we are doing this because we believe this will benefit the entire industry, not just, not just Index G esports. And uh, we are really, is even the approach we are trying to pitch to the Esports Federation of Kenya, that if we can take this approach, we can take this game, this discipline to a higher level. And our stories should always have a target, as you said, Tom. There's a time when I'm, when I'm with a journalist, because, as I said, younger journalists will listen to you. When we are cooking, we're in the kitchen cooking this story, we say, this story, we want a policymaker to see it. So give it this headline. Yep, give it yep, this that's story. what I was thinking. And, and then there's a time we're saying, <laughs> this story, we want the corporates to, to somehow know that the minister paid attention. And then this story... We want the universities to see uh, their students are playing. That's why those universities don't have esports teams. But when we are writing the story of the people going to Istanbul, we say when you write there the name of the player, and because we also don't have a lot of esports teams in Kenya, so attach him to the university or attach her to the university. Say it's a team of eight. First one is Ronnie Lusigi, University of Nairobi. Second one is Tom Leonard, Kenyatta University. Third one is Reginald. So you are able to tell a, a dean of a university, look, your university even was mentioned in the newspaper because of this gamer. You are, you are bringing a sense of belonging. So in some of these stories, they cut across. Some of them are really targeted, but that's the power of, of going down to, 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 to working with those journalists at a personal level and not just shooting emails. That's the power of uh, going for this, having a, a, a cup of tea with this journalist. That's the power of sending this journalist information even when you don't want them to write about it. I should not be coming to you only when I want you to write a story. When I see something good in the UK, when I see something good in Nigeria, I just send this journalist. So we now have like a small group of a WhatsApp group that we are with some journalists who are interested in this. So every time we shoot them, every time we shoot them. And, every, and they also advise us because they are trained in what they are doing. They advise and say, look, Ronnie, if we cover it this way, we won't achieve this. So I come with what I think should be done from a gaming perspective. They give me their perspective because they are also working with veteran journalists and they see what veteran journalists do. So it's just a balance, uh, Tom, but we really want those stories to convince parents. If a parent sees a story, there are parents who didn't believe this thing until they escorted their children to the airport. They, they were calling me daily. Because <laughs> How many times have we heard that story? Yes, because yes. Because majority of the people I went to were girls. These are girls, and we are speaking in an African context. These are girls who are 19. One parent was like, my daughter has never been a singer. My daughter has never been 
that popular girl in school because of any activity. And then out of the blue, she's telling me, Dad, I'm going to Istanbul. Ah, this must be Conman. <laughs> because he didn't believe there's something his daughter can do so well. But all this time, his introverted daughter was spending most of her time playing video games. And when she went to the university, she found her friends. And her friends told her about this competition. And this competition led her to going to Istanbul. So you see, these stories also apply to the parents, to the teachers, to the government, to the corporate, to everyone. So yeah, so many, so many different audiences. It reminds me that we talked, I can't remember who, but they were like, one of the things they were doing uh, um, activation deals with Netflix. And one of the things, one of the results was some of the, the influencers could show their parents that what they were doing, they were getting, they were getting sponsorship from Netflix. And that just gave them validation. It was like, okay, they're, you know, that, that was something that they, they just never thought they could do. The thing I keep hearing from you is you're a curious person. You go out there and you, you look for information. Where do you, where do you find information? What, what podcasts other than ours, what podcasts do you listen to and what do you want to get out of? It? Okay. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, now as a person. I listen to, I listen to Steve Bartlett, the diary of the CEO because I find a lot of stories there around resilience and, and water view. I, I, I listen to a lot of audio books. My actually, uh, uh, the past two years I've come to find 50 cent as my favorite writer. And I like listening to his audio books more than reading his books because his book, uh, hustle harder, hustle smarter is now my best book. I, I listen to a lot of sermons by TD Jakes because his sermons are very practical. Uh, it's not just about the spirit, the spirit, but it's more about the leadership in, in it. And I, I just try to, I'm not, I don't listen only to esports uh, podcasts or only esports information, but I try to consume information all around. I try to attend events for people in marketing just to go there and listen to these people speaking about, we are going to pick this concert, we are going to pick this artist, and knowing if this is what is driving them to pick these things. Now, if I want them to come to esports, I need to I need to 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 talk to them in this way. I remember you were hosting, was it Cholwe who said their your agency is not their agency? Was it Cholwe for Zambia? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 So when you attend marketing events, you come to learn about that. And it's the same thing we said about the media. My agency to get a story is not a sports journalist agency because it's not a part of his job description. So it, when it comes to consuming information, uh, Tom, I, I really believe in going far and wide because there's something I, I can learn from a banker that I can apply in esports. There's something you, you just you, you just wait you, you just wait because we have we we had a really good conversation with Jeremy Utley from Stanford. A couple uh, we talked to him a couple of weeks ago. His episode's going to be the last one of the season, and one of the things in his book, um, in, um, Idea Flow that we talked about was this whole idea of getting divergent opinions, getting the, having conversations just exactly like you're describing to be talking to bankers, to be talking to all these people, because you can learn something from everyone. And he ties it all back to, um, to Benjamin Franklin and um, how Benjamin Franklin, that was one of his strengths of being such a diverse character because he, he, he sought out information from so many different people that you wouldn't think of, um, of talking to. And that's what I hear you saying right there. Rachel, I'm going to put you on the spot too. What podcast do you listen to? Uh, 
Wow. I think uh, I also share the same uh, podcast and the diary of a CEO. I do, um, I do listen to that podcast. And I also listen to um, a podcast called The Masters of Scale by Reid Hoffman. Um, I, but, but now I'm really loving um, Grit and Growth by Stanford Seed just because it's, it's, it talks about, you know, entrepreneurship, business growth from um, Africa and um, Southeast Asia, which, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's very uh, relatable to it, uh, to me. And then there's always, uh, there's also another podcast I listen to. It's called uh, Always in Pursuit. It's a military <laughs> podcast where they talk to, you know, people from, range, you know, Rangers, ex-Marines, and then, and all that, yeah. And then, yeah, I have a couple of, and then Game has changed lives also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're kind of, very good. kind of second. Yeah, but, yeah. But, yeah. But, and then my own podcast, you know, what, I, do, I do listen to it, decided to win, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes, you're telling your own stories there. I mean, yes. how many people, I don't know anyone else that, that I can say that I've talked to that knows an astronaut wrangler. <laughs> yes, yes. That, that's, yeah. that's, that's, and I think that's Tom, amazing. I think Tom there. just, they're on podcasts. The reason sometimes I don't know the names of podcasts I listen to is because I've also listed down a number of people I look up to in esports, in sports marketing, in leadership, in politics. Now, most of the time I listen to podcasts because I saw it on their LinkedIn or on their Twitter that, hey guys, I was hosted by Tom. You can listen in. So at times after listening in, when the, when, when, when the time is right, after listening in, you go and check, oh, this this platform has, this show has other great podcasts. So I, I listen a lot to Ricardo Fort uh, and the podcast he, he attends, former at Coca-Cola. I, I listen to Eniola Edun from, from, from Nigeria. Uh, big up to her and, and what she's doing down there. I try and see these people that I'm looking up to, these people that are moving things. I try and, and go into, uh, if it's the... Gen- Global Esports Federation or the International Esports Federation, when they have those sessions, I may not be in that country, but as long as they put it out there and it's on YouTube, I'll go and listen to it. I'll, I'll go and listen to, to anything I find interesting out there uh, because I normally believe in that. But sometimes people say, oh, because I was not invited to Paris, I didn't attend the Esports Insiders uh, conference. I can't have this information. Okay, but they posted it on YouTube. So one thing I say is, as I wait for those opportunities to be invited to speak or to attend, what I will do, I will make the most, maybe of even the person who was there in Paris. If Tom was in Paris and he only went to greet two people and listen to one show, bad for him. I will, from Nairobi here, I'll ensure the, the conference that Tom went to I'll ensure I listen to everything that was discussed in that uh, conference that I can find. And I, I find sometimes that I learn a lot than maybe even someone who went there. And I will almost bet you take notes on these things, just like you were describing all these, these athletes and these esports athletes that were taking notes on their opposition, that you're taking notes on, on, on things that go on there. One of the things I've, I've learned from Reginald is also um, – how inquisitive he is. There's no one that has done more LinkedIn courses than, than him because he saw that, that LinkedIn has gave, gave the opportunity to, 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 to give him knowledge on things that, that some people just don't even pay any attention to. And he was like, 
No, I, hey, I'm going to go check these things out. I'm going to go see what I can learn there. And he's bringing things up all the time. It's like, you know, I saw this on this LinkedIn uh, course. It's like, we should, we should be doing this. And it's like, so the, the other trick that, that I, I find, and I think both of you are um, falling into that categories, it's one thing to learn things, but it's another thing to take, take what you learn and apply it to something that makes a difference. Because if you're only out there learning, it's like you could be a student forever. But until you, yeah. you, you, know, you move beyond that, that's what's important. And that's why I kind of hear, hear from you guys, what you guys are doing. So if you guys can do it, everyone else can too. Sure, sure. And it's also a psychological trick, Tom. Uh, I found it works uh, on TikTok and on, on Instagram. If you find that, because I found that uh, those platforms are good, but they can also be bad when they consume your time for no good reason. So the psychological trick you do, Go to those platforms, look at the pages that you normally find those reels that are very inspiring or talk to you directly. Follow all those pages. So whenever I open my Instagram, I'm, it's Eric Thomas talking to me. It's Steve Butler talking to me. So I won't spend even five minutes there because they definitely talk about something like get out of your seats and work. Stop, uh, stop uh, scrolling on social media for the whole day. If I go to Twitter, I'm, I'm trying that whenever I see a good page, I'm like notification, notification bell, notification bell. So whenever I open these social media platforms, the psychological trick you've done because you followed people or pages that speak to what you want to learn. So you won't find your time, uh, you won't find yourself spending 60 minutes looking at celebrities who've broken up. <laughs> Uh, what, what, one of my one of my favorite uh, comments that I saw here a while back was, um, if someone wastes ten minutes of your time, eight minutes are on you. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's like, it's it, it's like you let them waste the eight minutes. They wasted yeah. two minutes. The eight minutes that was that's on you. Yeah, and it so, works but, the other way, why, Tom. That you learn that when you get opportunities to speak to people who can really make impact. You have a very short time. You have five minutes to tell this guy why they should come into esports. So it that it works around because if you allowed ten minutes, you are responsible for eight. It also shows you it learn, you learn the value of time. So that if you sit today with the CEO of Coca Cola globally and he says, "Why should we do something of esports in Africa?" You can be able to tell him in three minutes something that we, he will say, "Take a seat and let's speak for fifteen minutes now." Which one of the things for, for all the faults of social media, one of the things it does when, when, when Wendy is out there working on our, our, um, our um, TikTok videos, it's your, open, it's, it's your very opening. It's what, do you, what does it take to get someone's attention, to get them to want to talk to you, want to yeah. listen to what it is you have to say? And that's just exactly what you're describing. Hey, I'm going to wind up here because we, we could, I know we could just keep talking and I want to take, take all, your day, uh, all your time here. But um, so, so Reginald, did you have any, any last minute questions or comments? Well, I, I think it's actually a comment. I think, um, you know, in, in being part of this podcast project, one of the things that I've realized is that um, it's good to have people from other countries, developed countries coming into your country and trying to solve problems. But it is, it is in a different level when people who are from that country take on, you know, the challenge. Like, for example, we are, we are facing 
a huge youth unemployment issues, trying to prepare our youth for the new economy of work and, you know, trying to solve these challenges. And I'm always happy to see people like you, myself, you know, and all other people that we are talking who are from born in these countries, raised in these countries, understand the problem, taking on this problem, whether you have sponsorship or not, or a grant or not, but really dedicated and passionate to move things forward. And it's a lot of work. So that's why I'm always encouraged to see people like you, because like you, like you were explaining, you have to do education. You have to do the training. Whilst you are running the business, you need to get cash flow. You, you are looking for sponsorship. And a lot of times, you are the one with the vision who is sort of bringing out all these things from within yourself. So I'm always excited that, you know, you are, you form part of that, you know, 20%, say 80-20 uh, rule, that 20% that is really, really making a difference. So I'm really happy. I'm excited. And you, your videos are excellent. I, I, you are telling a very, very nice story. And then I, I think that um, I'm looking forward to maybe probably, I think I need to come to Kenya one of these days because a lot of great people, a great community over there. And, you know, we are willing to see that by the end of 2023, when we check in on Ronnie, you know, uh, you know, Index G would have taken over the whole East Africa. Yeah. <laughs> so. But Ronnie, because I even got written down here. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, Ronnie. Yeah, yeah. How, how about you? Do you have any uh, wrap-up comments here? This has been a really good conversation. I appreciate you taking your time. Uh, uh, sorry, Tom, for my wrap-up comment, because I will... Somehow ask myself a question because there are two questions I love to hear responses from your guests, and that is on mobile esports and uh, Olympics, including esports. <laughs> and uh, uh, I like to say uh, to wrap up with that, uh, and just to say I do think the Olympics should include esports because international competitions really help the growth of sports in every country. Saudi Arabia just beat Argentina 2-1 at the FIFA World Cup. Ten years ago, they were conceding five, eight goals at the World Cup. The level of football in Saudi Arabia has grown because of their country going to the World Cup repeatedly. It's the same for other countries, whether it's Senegal, whether it's Nigeria, whether it's in South America. If we could have seen that World Championship will only be for the elite teams, the top 10 ranked teams, the football couldn't become a truly global sport. So Olympics, including esports, and us having international competitions like the ones by the Global Esports Federation and the International Esports Federation will help improve the levels of esports in emerging esports markets. We couldn't have gotten the Kenyan's Minister for Sports, Arts and Youth to flag us off if we were going for a private competition, even if it's outside the country. But because it's about the flag, he pays attention. Because it's about the flag, we now have further engagements with them on what can we do about this. So international competitions have a lot of power. We spoke about capacity building. If esports is included in the International Olympic Committee, it means the Esports Federation of Kenya or any other country can now become a member of their National Olympic Committees. What do they get from there? IOC organizes media trainings, how to run social media for, for sports accounts. Through that, you train on that. IOC organizes how to handle athletes. Through that, people in esports will be able to get those trainings. It's not just about that one competition you'll do in two years. We went to, to Istanbul. One day was set aside for players to go for the Global Esports Academy. 
they were taught things around uh, uh, health and wellness around video gaming, personal branding, esports in education. Those are the power of international competitions and international federations. So esports needs esports will benefit a lot from being included to the Olympics, and I know the Olympics will also benefit in another way. And secondly, just to wrap up on mobile esports, because a lot of people are no, no, you know, go, keep going, keep going. This is good. Yeah. This is good. Uh, because you you normally ask if mobile esports, especially in Africa, and I'd like to give the analogy. Reggie just said Kenya produces huge a lot of huge marathoners and middle distance runners. But if you ask me, is athletics the biggest sport in Kenya? I'll tell you, it's the best performing. It's not the biggest. Soccer is the biggest sport in Kenya. With all the medals, with all the world records, athletics still can fill a stadium the way soccer can fill in Kenya. And I'll still go back to the analogy again, down to athletics. Running, a lot of people do the morning jog across the world. But because a lot of people are running at 5 a.m. or at 5 p.m., it does not make field and track athletics the biggest sport in the world or in Kenya. So because most people are playing Candy Crush or other mobile games, does not really translate to esports. Mobile esports will be the biggest esports. Many people may be running than people who play football. Uh, you call it soccer in, in the United States. Many people may be running than people who play football. But football as a spectacle is so big that even those who play, don't play football, in fact, are the bigger fans than those who've actually played football. You see the viewership numbers of the World Cup and it's crazy. So on, on, on that question that you normally like to ask on mobile esports, I'd say mobile esports is good, it's emerging, and, but where I see it right now is that it, it's as big as running, uh, but not as big as football in, in that analogy that many people will play it but an esport, we are talking about audience. We are talking about following. We are talking about a lot of things that make something an esport. Just the same way we say, not every PC game is an esport or can make a good esport. So it's the same way. A lot of people are playing mobile games, and um, it's not it's not making an impact. But I just like to finish by saying, shout out to people who organize these international competitions because they are really helping emerging esports markets. I was really changed when I went to Lagos in April, when Eliona Edul and the Gamer X team, the Gamer team, uh, Kumi, Adepembi, Sunday, and all the great guys in Nigeria. They may not know it, but just going to Nigeria and seeing, these guys gave me a VVIP tag, and I was seated in the VVIP. Just seeing, you've attracted all these big artists. You've attracted these big uh, politicians from, from Nigeria, the minister, Lagos Minister for Sports. I, I went back home and said, look, guys, we ain't doing nothing. What people are doing in Nigeria, we got to catch up. And that motivation, I can't find it virtually alone. It's like a pilgrimage going to Mecca, how it changed people like Malcolm X or, 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 or those other people. So these international competitions should really be encouraged and it will help increase the level of esports in emerging markets so that in 10 years from now, we can speak of a Kenyan team going into a competition like the League of Legends and becoming world champions. But it will only start by that Kenyan team, first of all, going and knowing what it is to be a world champion. Senegal has one of the best footballers in Africa, but they only won their first African Cup of Nations this year. It's because they've been going there again and again and again that they were able to come up with the quality to win. So 
I just like to say, if you're out there, either privately or a federation, doing international esports events, please keep doing it. You are really making a lot of change. And Tom and Reggie, thank you for having me. This feels so good to be a guest in a podcast that I'm a fan. Uh, I never thought it will come at least this soon. So shout out to you. It's really encouraged me to continue doing what we are doing here. And shout out to every other person in Africa. Baba Diom from Senegal, doing a lot of work. Uh, Cholwe from Zambia. Uh, uh, our friends our friends from Uganda, like Arudem, and our very own, the queen of esports in Africa, Aida Gadoni, Queen Arrow. Shout out to you. Let's keep pushing the limit of esports in Africa. Great. We, we have not had a wrap-up like that. <laughs> that is great. The other thing that I always I will always go back to is when you when you look at Gamer X that they put together in Nigeria, they started in August and it happened in like six eight months later. Yeah. It's like you know it, it, people can spend years putting something together, but it was just like they were just like let's go do it. So that, that, that's that's what we need. Hey, I'm I'm going to wrap up here because because I do know we could keep talking. So I really appreciate both of you for being here on the the podcast today. So we'll put we'll put a ton of links in the show notes, and um, and somewhere along the line we we need to talk more about putting resources out there of what what podcasts people are listening to, what um, what books people are reading, and things like that to give people ideas because it it's it's always good. You always want to hear what other people that you agree with um, are out there doing. But thanks again for listening. This is the Gamers Change Lives Podcast, Season Two. Follow the money, play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks, Ronnie. Thank you, Tom. And thanks, Reginald. Thank you. Okay, we'll talk to you next time. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded and so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at gamerschangelivespodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.